This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Idea City Podcast. For more information or to watch talks online, go to ideacity.ca or check out the Idea City channel on YouTube. Hello, and welcome to Idea City on the Air. By the end of the next half hour, you'll be inspired and enlightened by the world's biggest ideas, innovations, and breakthroughs as you hear about them in talks from the planet's smartest people. Moses Neimer's three-day annual Idea City conference in Toronto has been called Canada's premier meeting of the minds, and we're glad to have your mind with us. In this episode of Idea City on the Air, Jordi Rose speaks about synthetic minds, cooperation, and the future of humanity. Now let's join Moses as he introduces Jordi to the stage. This session is called The Future of Space and Tech and AI, and the whole damn thing. And our first speaker is Jordy Rose. <laughs> There's Jordy. <laughs> hey, Jordy. Hi, Moses. Nice to see you again. Good to see you again. Yeah, so the last time Jordy was here in 2013, he was the only guy in the world, he and his company, D-Wave, the only guy in the world making quantum computers. We didn't understand what quantum computers were, and I'm not sure I understand it now, but he was getting 10 million bucks a machine and selling them to some of the most important organizations in the world, like NASA, like the CIA, like Mr. Bezos. And so um, you gave a talk, and I looked at the talk in preparation for this thing, and I still don't quite understand what a quantum computer is. Uh, but in any case, you're not doing that anymore. That's true. And now you're interested in building humanoid robots that are almost identical to humans. Do I get that correct? That's part of it. That's part of it. And will they be able to understand what a quantum computer is? It's part of what I'm going to be talking about. All right. Well, then why don't you get started? All right. Thank you, Moses. Yeah. Thanks, okay. everybody. Regardless of how you feel about it, there is a literal incontrovertible fact that every thought that a human has ever thought resides inside our mind. The world around you may or may not be real. What is real for sure is the stuff that's inside your head. Your thoughts do not persist outside of your skull. They're inside. They exist inside your mind. And because of that, I've begun over the period of about a decade to devote myself to the problem of understanding how minds work. What is a mind? Do, does everything have a mind? Or is it only humans? If humans have them, what do they do and how do they work? So I view the theory of understanding minds as being the literally most important thing that we can do because every human endeavor resides within it. Every talk you'll hear at this conference is about thoughts, 
in a person or people's minds. All of them. There is no exception. Thinking about curing cancer, thinking about going to Mars, thinking about the people around you, thinking about yourself, it all happens in this tiny little thing inside your head. We don't know how it works. That is a tragedy that we need to fix. So I am doing my best in my own way to try to get at this. Okay. So what I'm going to do now is get to the meat of this, is I'm going to try to explain one of the perspectives for how minds work, which has become, I'd say, ascendant in the study of, um, of minds. So the people who work on the leading edges of AI, if you read a story about an AI doing something special, this is the way that most people think about this. So it may be wrong, and parts of it probably are, but I want to remove some of the fear you may have by removing some of the unknown. Part of the reason why we're afraid of AI in the future is that we don't understand it. So what I'm gonna to try to do is give you a little bit of an understanding. Now this quote is really important to understand the way that scientists feel about AI, because it contains two different things, both of which are very poorly defined, but I'm gonna to try to do that. One is intelligence and one are goals. So the way that this, this framework works is that an entity has goals, which come from somewhere, we'll talk about that, and they have intelligence, which is the means to achieve the goal. So imagine you and a toaster both for some reason have the goal of toasting toast. It's better at that than you are, so in this way of thinking about it, you're led to some very peculiar conclusions about what it means to be intelligent. And by the way, that toaster thing is not a little like semantic joke. It goes to the heart of the problem of doing this is that our definitions for these things are terrible. And so on this uh, picture, there's a thermometer. A thermometer has what you might think of as a goal. Its goal is the mercury should be at the right temperature. Now, we don't usually ascribe words like goals to thermometers, uh, and part of the reason for this is that uh, we understand a thermometer through its mechanism. We think, okay, we understand the physics of mercury, and that creates the behavior. But the main, one of the main takeaways of this part, the explanation, is that mechanistic ways of looking at things, it's just a machine, and the usual way we describe intelligent things, it has goals and dreams and purpose and all that. There are different ways of looking at the same thing in this framework, okay? Remember, I said this might be wrong, but this is the way this framework works. The, uh, what's shown here is a, a system called AlphaGo, which DeepMind, a Google sub, uh, built, and it had a goal to win at Go. It's an old game. Move stones around. The game, the game-playing AI, AlphaGo, was very good at this. Its, quote-unquote, intelligence, its ability to deliver on the goal, was better than any human player. And this first system, AlphaGo, has been superseded by several different ones that are much, much, much better. Consume less resources when training and all that. So... Why is it that we might think more naturally of AlphaGo as having a goal of winning a game than a thermometer of predicting temperature? I think the reason is very simple. It's harder for us to understand the mechanisms of AlphaGo. So if you're an AI researcher 
and you've read all the papers and maybe duplicated the result yourself, you understand every single piece of how that thing works. It's a mechanism, just like a thermometer. But if you're not, it's better to think of this thing as having a goal. Now, we can project this forward now, this idea that systems can both be mechanisms, they obey the rules of physics, just like a thermometer does, and they can have goals, and we can look at this in two different ways. So for humans, when we think of goals, we usually think of exceptionally complicated things. So this is Andrew Yang. Andrew Yang's running for the uh, leadership of the Democratic Party in the United States. He has a goal. He wants to be the president of the United States. Now, it's natural for us to think about Andrew Yang in terms of a goal-seeking intelligence and not like a thermometer with all the atoms and whatnot. But what I'm going to try to get you to think about is this frame shift where maybe those two things are not different and that a machine with an understood algorithm, the way it works, and a goal-seeking intelligence like a living creature are just two different ways of looking at the same thing. Coming up after the break. So a bacteria moves through the world doing its bacterium thing. 15% of the world's biomass is bacteria. They're doing pretty well. Einstein is the same. Einstein receives information through his sensory organs, goes about his thing, moves. Welcome back to Idea City on the Air. You're listening to Jordy Rose speak about synthetic minds, cooperation, and the future of humanity. What I'm going to do is I'm going to try my best to explain at some high level of abstraction the picture of the mind that is the leading one today. Okay? So what I'm going to start is by looking at that word up top, embodiment. Embodiment has this box around it. You can roughly think of an embodiment as a body. So I am constituted of stuff. It sort of ends where my skin ends, more or less. Uh, Most living creatures are like this, maybe all. And a lot of machines are like this too, but not all. They have this outline. So inside this outline are a bunch of, think of them as sensors or filters. We think of them as your five senses, touch, sight, so on. You are bombarded by an enormous amount of information coming from this wonderful and terrible thing that we are born into all the time. Most of it, you don't register. Even in the visible spectrum, the things that you can see with your eyes, most of the information in this room doesn't register inside your brain. So we, what we do as a thing is we take all of this stuff and we t- convert it into a tiny little thing which is what the people in this field call observations. Observations are what make it through into you from the outside world. And this includes everything from like, you know, how your stomach is feeling to, you know, a whole thing. Every single thing that comes into your brain, let's call it, or your mind more abstractly, is coming through this filter that's your body. There's a special type of thing in this world called reward. And you can think of reward as the instantaneous goodness of what just happened. So if I I touch a stove and it's hot, man, that's negative reward. My observations coming in my fingers are like, don't do that. That's terrible. Uh, Reward is this instantaneous thing that happens in the moment as you move through the world. This entity, you, 
can't know everything about the world, which is that environment. So the environment contains everything, where all the black holes are, whether Hawking radiation is here or whatever, like everything, okay? That is absolutely incalculable. It's just a concept. We can't actually have access to it. Your inside, your brain, is trying to make a model of that in the degrees of freedom that matter to you. So you don't care about uh, like where the nearest black hole is, probably, unless you're you know, an astrophysicist. That's not important information to you. Most things aren't. So the state representation, you can think of as how you're, you're all you know and all you feel about where you are now. And a goal is a desire to change that. So as a simple example, uh, my sensorium is telling me I don't have anything in my hand right now. If my goal is to have a water bottle in my hand, I do some things, and voila, I've now achieved my goal state. So the thing on the left, the state representation update, you can think of as a sequence of, of goals. The thing on the right, the policy, tells you what to do given that you want to make a change. So this is where intelligence resides. Because that box on the right tells you what do I do to get what I want? It doesn't tell you what you want. That's the box on the left. So this way of dividing these agents explicitly separates goals from capability to have goals or get goals, which we'll call intelligence. And then once your policy has decided how to move, your body changes. This is really important, is that the fundamental picture here is you get this very small amount of information about the world, You've got a bunch of stuff in your head that makes you think about where you're at and where you want to be. Then you act. And when you act, you change the universe in a small way. And then that feeds back, and this whole thing loops forever. Now, this picture in this view of the world applies to all living things. So bacteria don't have neurons, and they don't have brains, but they're still the same kind of thing. They get chemical gradients coming in through their sensorium. They move by wiggling their flagella and they get reward by consuming things like sugar. So a bacteria moves through the world, doing its bacterium thing. 15% of the world's biomass is bacteria. They're doing pretty well. Einstein is the same. Einstein receives information through his sensory organs, goes about his thing, moves. One of those movements is writing, typing, or talking. And these things become, you know, the legacy of, of who Einstein is. Important is that this picture doesn't need the body to be a bunch of meat. The body can be a robot. In the body, you can have sensors like cameras and microphones and so on. And the movements of robots are, you know, what you'd expect. So an example is a car, a self-driving car. A self-driving car has a bunch of sensors. It can move. It does it itself. It gets reward. It has goals. Um, the picture on the top left is one of the sanctuary synths. There are the humanoid systems that we build. Uh, the one on the top right is a Kindred robot, which is our previous company that we built that does the same thing in a very isolated, specific environment. Uh, in the future, when we can design minds, an important thing to understand is that designed minds can have any goals we want. The zeroth order commandment is we have to design machines that have goals that are good for us in some sense, and the hard question is who gets to decide what those are? You are surrounded already by alien minds. The bots that Russia used 
together with humans to influence the US election, had a goal, they had an embodiment, all those typing fingers, and they had what I would consider to be super intelligent capabilities of some sort or another, either because there were a lot of people involved or whatnot. If you, if you turn your mind to think about minds of technological artifacts, they're already here. This isn't science fiction. They're among us. And we're not prepared to have the discussion about what they should be designed for. And this is really, really critical because if we choose goals for our machines that are contrary to our goals, we're going to be in competition with them. And we're not gonna win. Uh, the future, I think, is going to be wonderful and terrific, but our place in it isn't guaranteed. If we make bad decisions, the future could turn over to our machine children and not our biological children. That's why I think that this, this idea of understanding how these things work is so important for people to understand, and I think that it's uh, tragically misunderstood how critically important it is to get this right. Thank you. So, Jordi, in your lab, you actually create the synth? You build the synth? Yes, we have several. Um, uh, w the intent is to create systems that are indistinguishable from human. Right. And so your goal is to mimic the human in form and in function. The, think of it as deriving the angels of our better nature somehow. Yeah. and distilling it into an AI whose goals are aligned with the things that we would generally think are good and not things that we would agree are bad. The point of this is that we have to decide what the minds want. And our, part of our thesis is that minds that are engaged in social activity, naturally, we will like them more, they will do better if they like the things that we like and they want the things that we want. We can create machines that are wanting to cure cancer for example, we can create machines that want to cure death, for that matter. You know, you can, cure, you can do anything you like uh, as a goal system. But thinking about this explicitly in terms of what do humans want uh, is, I think, the right way to look at the problem. And we do, part of the lens we look at that through is people respond differently to machines that look like people than they do to machines that don't. So sanctuary is an academic exercise, a research no, exercise? No, it's a business. It's a business. Uh, it's like D-Wave, a for-profit corporation driven by a vision. The D-Wave vision was a world with quantum computers. The sanctuary vision is a world with good AI, minds like ours that want the same things that we want. But what will you sell? Will you sell the synth? Um, uh, example, uh, the, well, if you can crack this basic problem of being able to make machines that are like people in some essential way, you can task them to any task you like. And it's my thesis that these types of things will be better at very valuable things than we are. So you can put them against problems that have great commercial value. One of the obvious ones in the beginning uh, is companionship. So the, the part of the mental health problems that we have created for ourselves come from a dislocation of people 
People don't deal with people anymore. They're proxied through this weird, bizarre universe that comes through our screen. There's a possibility, it might sound outlandish, I know, that you can reverse that effect by creating technological things that are more like people. So instead of staring at a screen, maybe you stare at something that looks like you, and maybe that will help somehow. Now, I don't know. Uh, again, a lot of this is experimental, but uh, the, the root value in this is the mind. Is if you can crack the problem of how to create minds that are human-like or animal-like, you can task them to do anything you like, and that includes the entire world's economic activity. Merely that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Idea City on the Air. Catch Moses Neimer's Idea City Conference live every June in Toronto or on regularly scheduled radio and TV shows throughout the year. And find hundreds of talks online every day at ideacity.ca. For more information about Idea City, find us online at ideacity.ca, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or youtube.com slash ideacity. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.